0: Rolling test, test, test. Is that it? That's it. That's the rolling test song. The rolling test
1: song. <laughs> <laughs> Bongo Street. Um, I, uh, I want to say, I'm going to start with saying, um, welcome. Thanks. Thanks You're for having so, me. So, so welcome. Um, short list of people who are like dream guests. And it really, it, 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 it fun, it's funny to me because I'm 155 episodes into Evolving with Corey Castle Available on iTunes and Spotify Check it out, subscribe, like, and rate the podcast If you're listening to it now, amazing, thank you Thank you so much for your attention and it's your effort It's pretty good uh, And I wanted you on since the very beginning um, Because when it comes to When it comes to having life lessons and really sur- being a survivor. Um, you have been someone who's been important to my evolving and you taught me some life lessons. And, uh, I don't even know if you know some of the, some of the impact that the moments that you and I shared have had on me. And, uh, I'm so grateful and you're so welcome and you're safe here. No judgment. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, first of all,
0: it's an honor to be on the show. Um, you and I have had the chance to see each other in the creative aspects, party aspects, but also in a uh, coworker aspects, <laughs> which <laughs> can be, uh, you know, really bring you back down to earth. But, um, James was a great co-worker, great friend, and uh, it's been a while since I've been in the media arena. I'm coming back in, and uh, James did ask me to be on before. What? What? Corey.
1: Dude, dude, it doesn't matter. Uh, Corey Castle, James, I'm the same person. Okay, it you, can edit no, it no, you don't. Have, uh, I'm not editing anything. You don't edit anything. No, I don't edit okay. anything. So, I mean, if there's well, look, a- I
0: call him by his first name because because he's a good friend. I mean, uh, he he's brought me up when I didn't think there was any more going down, and um, I was telling Gina on the way here. I said, you know, this might be one of the last times I can get on his podcast because he's getting bigger and bigger. Named people. His episodes are getting really good. The production's getting good. So I'm like, if I had waited any longer, I'm not sure that I would have, he would have had such a amount of people to choose from that I wouldn't have. So it's, it's humbling to come here and hear you say that, um, you've been waiting to have me on. Uh, most people, um, let me know that they're not that interested in what I'm saying and let me know it pretty quickly. So this is a welcome change.
1: <laughs> no, well, I, I, I favored the very personal, uh, and I think that our relationship is very special. And uh, I, dude, I, I treasure having known you, and uh, I appreciate that. Any time we get a chance to, to hang out is such a bonus because both of us almost didn't didn't survive stuff. Yeah. In in the amount of time we've been friends. Right. So i um, dude, wow. I've never this is, this is the thing. And, uh, dude, I never, never had anyone I cared about or loved, uh, lay there in a coma while I'm staring at them. Like you're the, the only person that I've ever experienced that with. Yeah. So, I mean, the, 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 the weight of that, the weight of like, shit, am I losing my friend here? and, Like, and then on top of that, dude, I I was confused about like how much, maybe I didn't know about you that I really wanted to know more of, like, because I didn't, I didn't, um, I I felt like I had been missing out on so much. Yeah. Well, you know, um.
0: Before we before we started rolling, we were talking about comedians and uh, how it's sometimes hard to define your voice. And I was thinking in my head as we were sitting here, especially for comedians, because a lot of them have been through so much shit in their life that comedy is the only way to deal with it sometimes. But going through shit also makes you complex. It makes you sometimes impulsive, sometimes... Uh, abusive with chemicals, sometimes depressed, and I think a lot of comedians go through that, and so sometimes when you see a comedian break persona and you see them angry on TMZ or something like that, you have to remember these are real people with real complex personas, and I think um, you and I had just touched the surface of knowing each other but it was strange because you for some reason stuck out the first day you came into training and were sitting in the lunchroom and I was miserable to be at that job I don't know what struck me to talk to you the first two or three people I had tried talking to there the conversations had flopped right. <laughs> it was either like oh you don't play Elder Scrolls or <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I didn't have a jeep with enormous rims or something. Dude, you did so. have
1: a nice jeep though. There for a minute,
0: you, I did for yeah. a minute. Okay, <laughs> <I> got repoed. <laughs>
2: but um, but, but you did have. There a was jeep. a lot more
0: below the surface for right. both of us, and yeah. and and what was crazy about me going into the coma a few months later is you had just come out of a very serious recovery yourself right. with, your, with, your surg- with your with your surgery with your with your surgery in your skull yeah so um we you know we had just been going through the shit at that point and and yeah i i think i was um given the the happy face at work and trying to encourage everyone else and then i got a slightly more supervisorial position and um was just really trying to be that, you know, team organizer and, and just PC guy that st- stuck by company rules and stuff. And it really hid the tempest that was just brewing underneath, you know.
1: Well, I mean, you're... You were a performer. And you were performing. You were acting as a character that you thought you needed to be. Correct. Um and that included uh not sharing things about yourself and not uh like I didn't know that I didn't know that you were dating your girlfriend who's now your wife. I didn't know that. Uh there's a few things I, I thought like we were we're we're friends, but it was like we're at a, at an arm's length work friends <laughs> and you're the boss guy so you're not telling me all your stuff
0: it's not even <laughs> it's not even that because i have no i, I usually don't have a problem being saying more t- you know in the boss roles that i have had than maybe i should to to, to people but um honestly it's it's more so that I I keep everyone in at arm's length because sometimes you you know if you don't feel that you deserve the best relationships and you you're not sure that you're the person who's going to be able to give back to those relationships the same amount that you're getting which has often been the case with me, family relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, I've found that I'm often able not give back as much as I'm getting.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And obviously you get negative reactions from those and after you know you repeat those a few times and you get the same feedback from people, you realize like, maybe I'm not a great person to be in a relationship with or i'm not a great long-term friend or and so a lot of times it's about it's <laughs> not bringing people in who are good people who you know are you're going to hurt and that happened to some extent i did disappear on you mm. i mean and i i think knowing that i was at a place in my life where i could just go downhill in a minute I didn't want to be anyone feeling bad for me or anything like that.
1: Well, I mean, you, that's all, that's all some learned stuff, man. Like you, you came from a place where you came from a place where in and out of foster homes and being an orphan and, you know, uh, survival mode, um, learned behavior for self-preservation. Correct. And uh, your coping mechanisms are your own. That are full, And this is a, another thing I was talking about earlier today when we were talking about your voice and your perspective. You're not going to meet another person at a comedy club who's going to come from your exact perspective. You're not going to meet another p- person anywhere that comes from your exact perspective who survived the things you survived and seen the things you've seen and lived through the things you've lived through. This is why I really wanted to have you on here. Because I wanted I to talk about that. that perspective. Because you've got, and, and it it actually really, uh, it actually made me feel really cool when you were talking about want to start a podcast. Because like for sure, somebody with your unique voice, somebody with your unique perspective, having having a voice that other people can learn from and uh, evolve from. Yes, that's uh, what it's about. And. You know whether it's in that music capacity whether it's in the comedy capacity whether it's in that survivor capacity like the there's there is so much to be said for how much respect can be like really given to um, abuse and uh, you know uh, kind of overcoming victimhood yeah and all of that stuff And uh, that's why I, I Wanted to Sort of get your thoughts on I wanted to hear your, your Origins you know I don't really Know them I, I mean I know uh, bare bones
0: Of right. your origins Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface um, Before I say anything else I'm working on a manuscript For this memoir mm. It's called Lost Wolf Playlist Trying to have it out in twenty twenty. It is just a delineation of the things that happened in my life, with the addition of two other things. Um, I'm not sure if it's an original American tale uh, regarding two wolves, um, or just just a traditional tale regarding two wolves. But that you talk about the wolf.
1: Like, which wolf will you feed? Yes. Okay.
0: That imagery will play alongside the book. Mm-hmm. I will be in the meadow, feeding, being attacked by running out the meadow of the various mm-hmm. wolves of the, of the good and the bad wolf. And then, in addition to that, um, I'll be speaking about music. That's why it's called my lost wolf playlist, because as I'm as I've been writing my story, I've realized there were times where I was ready to maybe give up, and something about me, like I when I was at my my lowest. I think I just lost my job in New York, uh, just lost my apartment in New York City, Manhattan, moved back home to my parents' house, 29, living in their basement, just such a loser. And then, um, in the midst of all that, my youngest brother uh, hanged himself at the age of 21. So, all these things happened uh, within a few weeks' time. And Um, there's a lot in the book about the disparity uh, of the treatment between the adopted children and the natural children within the family. And part of that um, was that in, in my sorrows, I had started to drink And both of my parents are ministers, and they didn't want that in the house, and it was bugging them, and they were going through their own mourning, which I could understand. Mm -hmm. I mean, mourning's hard to understand, especially, man, When, when a tragedy happens so quickly, I hesitate even saying this because, um, You could know someone's going to die for a long period of time and just the amount you love them, it's still going to hurt. So I'm not trying to minimize
2: Mm.
0: non-immediate, non-surprising deaths, right? But um, it just completely knocks you off your square in terms of where you were going with life. And there's no accounting for how you're going to react. You still have to keep your wits about you. You still have to obey the laws. You still have to not hurt you know the feelings of everyone else in your family, but grieving takes such twisted manifestations in people and um in that particular moment, the Thomases asked me to leave the home um, but the other their natural child was allowed to stay. Mm-hmm. And they knew how I had lost my place in New York City. Mm -hmm. And I had nothing to my name. I had like a little mini recording studio up there when I lived in Manhattan. I lived at 50th and 3rd for about a year. And I had a banjo, a bunch of guitars, electric, acoustic, a bunch of basses, um, recording software, mic, condenser mics, those kinds of things, keyboard. And so those were the things of main value that I had that if I was going to get back on my feet Mm -hmm. I was going to have to resell them what felt less like parents begging an adult child look we need to have our sanctuary and grieve we need you to find somewhere to place to go Mm -hmm. that I could understand as much as it hurt but then the day I was supposed to move out I had until like 3 p.m. that day, and they only told me two or three days before, so it was tough enough. And I, like I said, I was fighting my alcoholism at this point. Um, my mother rented, my adopted mother rented a, um, those, those big dumpsters, trash dumpster, mm-hmm. and was ready to put all of my stuff in it. At like the 2.59 p.m. mark if I hadn't moved out. Mm-hmm. That's where it seemed to transfer from being a cry for help to almost adversarial. Who does that to mm-hmm. their child? Right. Um, a side note that you said about the coma and visiting mm-hmm. me. Right. My parents visited me the same amount. Mm-hmm. In the, those, I was in the hospital for 149 days. Consider leaving your house on March 22nd, waking up on your birthday on May 2nd, and still not coming home to your house till, like, August 31st, that long of not seeing your bed, all the shit that happened in the hospital, it was amazing. I saw my insides, I woke up during a surgery, I had a nurse, like, pull my things my tubes out of my body and start yelling at me. I mean, the whole hospital experience was a nightmare unto itself. Um, but that's just a side note. I love and appreciate you for visiting me in my coma. I
1: had to.
0: Because you did it the same amount that my parents did. So anyway, <clears throat> well, in one of my lowest moments after they had kicked me out, um, I had lost all my stuff, was in a storage unit I couldn't pay for. Then I started paying the storage unit and not my rent. So I was living out of the storage unit up on Bristol on Route 13. Mm. And At one point, I was walking along the tracks and I was really just considering jumping in front of a train Mm. because I had been hanging out with some of the other homeless guys and they had been saying, oh, yeah, two or three guys a year jump in front of the Bristol station and stuff. So it kind of got in my head, and I was walking along the tracks, and then the local ones seemed to, like, be going too slow to really... I'm like, man, if I don't time this one up perfectly, it'll just take my arm off, and then I'll just be a depressed idiot with one less arm. <laughs> like, I, I'm going to...
1: Side note, I don't mean, don't mean, to, uh, don't mean to interrupt <laughs> yeah. your story, but... I know a guy who was like facing some jail time, so he wanted to jump in front of a train to kill himself, yeah, he just lost both of his legs that and they did jail time more jail time with no legs, having to recover oh my god, yeah. that okay, so
0: that was my concern mm-hmm. that it so then I started waiting for the Acela train, I'm like, man, this is so hard to time up, especially being a little drunk in the afternoon. I mean, I really was the biggest loser. You know and to and to put a lot of this into perspective, I went from these orphanages to uh, a public school, got into almost every Ivy League school out of high school, played college football, and then started to have anxiety and dropped out and That was kind of where my skid started from there
1: well, that's sort of. Lent me to what I wanted to get into At some point with talking to you about uh, CTE Correct uh, And I wanted to see if you Thought maybe that you had You had experienced some concussions That maybe went undiagnosed um, And you know and then ask you How how hard was it If you had seen that documentary That they made that your brother was in That they, they featured your brother in in that documentary that was on Netflix. It's called head games. Did you see that? Right. Yes. Uh, So, so how, when it comes to, when it comes to like the, the struggles that you deal with in your depression and that you see some of that through the, the CTE and some of the concussions, do you then, Is, does your mourning switch? Like, does does it change the way you mourn the, the loss of your brother?
0: Sure, sure. So, addressing your first question, um, I don't think I took the kind of concussions Owen did mm-hmm. because I played running back. So, I had two or three more serious concussions where I was... Completely blacked out on the field. So this is a crazy story. This will be in my, my book. But um, are you familiar with Chris Nowitzki? Yeah, who runs the concussion. Yeah, he He was a Harvard football player. Mm -hmm. WWE, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, he was involved in Owens, um, in getting Owens' autopsy done. He was he was largely involved, and um. He took my brother Morgan to the Notre Dame Alabama championship football game that year. It was crazy. But my, my singular strongest, my singularly strongest concussion in college um, was on a kickoff. It was Penn Harvard, and we were both atop the Ivy League, so it was for the Ivy League championship. Whoever won this game was going to win it all. K- kickoff came back. I didn't get it. So I got into the wedge, which hadn't been outlawed at the time, which Mm -hmm. has since the wedge formation on a kickoff return has been outlawed because of the amount of concussions. Um, I got into the wedge. I heard the guy behind me say go, so we started plowing forward. And next thing I know, I'm on the ground waking up, and I'm like, oh, my God, I must have been laying here for 10, 15 minutes. I looked at it. The next day we watched film of all the games. And I just hit the ground and pop right up and go running off the field. I wasn't down at all. But in my mind, I thought I'd been down there for 10 minutes. I got up. It sounded like I was standing next to a helicopter. Like the sound was just super choppy. It was (laughs) singing like yellow splotches. Mm -hmm. I got to the sideline and I realized like I got banged. And I was considering whether I was going to tell the coaches or not. I was watching the scoreboard and. It felt like half an hour in my mind, and I couldn't believe only thirty seconds had come off the clock. And then, like the next fifteen minutes were completely opposite. I blinked, and it was the second half. So I was like, "I better tell the -hmm. training staff." And I go over the training staff, and our our um, starting quarterback at the time is also getting uh, going through concussion protocol, or it wasn't called that at the time, but they're asking him, "How are you doing?" He's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Who are you? Who are you? He said, I'm Batman. And they're like, okay, you're just fucking around. Get out of here. You're fine.
2: Mm-hmm. You know.
0: But I was actually kind of having trouble with the date and stuff like that. So then they did take it seriously. And it was a shame because um, I got taken to the back, and I was in the back, uh, the training area when the game ended, and they pulled... They pulled the uh, goal post down. They've since changed the post at Franklin Field, so you can't do that. But the students pulled the post down. They carried them out the front of the stadium on the 33rd Street. They carried it to 33rd and South to the South Street Bridge and threw them over into the Schuylkill River. The traffic was stopped. Some of the football players were on top of delivery trucks like lead and chant and stuff. Man, I missed all that because of this concussion. And the most ironic thing was, who played on Harvard's kickoff team that Chris year? Chris Nowitzki. Chris Nowitzki. Wow. I was like, could is it possible you could have given me the biggest concussion of my life? Oh my he God. was not in on that play. But how crazy is that? Like, There's you know, so many of those, those weird looping stories it's, like it's, that in my like, book.
2: It's like...
1: Oh my God! The the guy who I mean, does My Brother's
0: Autopsy could have given me my biggest. The
1: coincidences are like not accidental. There's like, so
0: many of these in my book.
1: It can't be accidental that these coincidences, like, how connected are we? That that that's the the case. You know what I mean? And then like, and then later on, same guy. Doing your brother's autopsy uh, yeah. for concussion stuff, yeah, and yeah, and you're in that championship game with him, and you're concussed. That there, the synchronicities are so cyclical. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, there's a bunch of that. <laughs> um. So, um,
0: so i I think I took more as a running back more concussions like that where it was i looked at the play and what had happened was the wall breaker the wedge buster which is now also outlawed just flies down full speed and his job's just to blow up the wedge and he he hit the guy in front of me and the back of my own teammate's helmet hit the front of mine and i went down and like i said popped right back up but um that's one of those concussions where someone's coming down on you full speed and you're just kind of a sitting duck. Mm. And I only took maybe two or three of those my whole life as a running back position. Whereas Owen being in the trenches had repeated and it might only be, you know, you see how far away in the trenches those guys are. It's only a foot or two, but that's all it needs to be. The repeated blows Mm. because also as we know, once you get one concussion, the successive ones get easier and easier to get, right. and so just it's that constant constant knocking of the heads down there, and he was a physical player um a much larger human being than me he he liked just flying over the line at the at the snap of the ball and right. so um but you know we need we need to be careful with this because. Um, again, I mentioned that my parents are both ministers Right. and, um, it was somewhat unfortunate to me to read their quote, um, where they, in sports illustrated article, they're talking about how much they did or did not know their son. They said, we didn't know if Owen was, found out he killed himself we said what's his secret what's he hiding is he a drug mule is he in a gang is yeah. he gay so mm-hmm. first of all i've f- for all my you know lgbt friends i felt mm-hmm. uh, a little embarrassed that they would equate
1: right like that. <laughs> that being a nasty disgusting <laughs> secret
2: yeah oh. I mean it is bad. He's to either keep it a serial secret, killer
0: or he's gay. Right. One of the yeah, you can't equate the things. Right. <laughs> but but then um it, the doctor said he only thinks that the CTE, while Owen is the youngest person found with it as a football player, it could still really only they if they had to give it numeric value, they said it contributed ten percent to his suicide, which means there's a ninety percent in there that we have to take a brutal honest look at is it did he feel he couldn't talk to anyone was he did he need to be on depression meds mm. did he have something going on with a girl or something you know and um my Parents have always been reticent to recognize and discuss mental health stuff. Mm. And I think that's why they actually, if I recall, they went back and asked for the CTE to be bumped up to a higher responsibility percentage of his death. I'm not sure. Maybe they don't want to see what else is... going on there and it frustrated me like i said we all have different twisted manifest manifestations of grieving right Right. but they didn't want to see anything in his laptop or his notes whereas i for example would have been like what was i missing in my baby brother where are these diaries where are these you know but some people just don't want to know and you know that that The not knowing Mm -hmm. in itself is haunting, especially because we can tend to attribute what could we have done, what could we have done, what could we have done. And so it leaves the door open for taking responsibility for someone else's suicide in reality. I hate to say it, and I love my brother, but when somebody does it, that's only their fault. And maybe I'm only speaking for adults.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Bullied teenagers I know is a, is a tougher issue. But he was a 21-year-old man. And um, I couldn't hold uh, his parents as responsible as anyone could hold me. Or his anyone, you know, it's I, just a shame.
1: I uh, want to take this opportunity. I say this every show, and, I, and I'm... I sincerely mean it. Uh if you ever feel like you've got to talk to somebody, I'm a resource. Um and I say that to everybody who's listening. Um if you need if you need somebody to talk to judgment free, if you need a you know if you need a conversation, if you need an outlet, uh you you've got a voice. Use it. Um I'm I i i would love to help. I'd love to help And that that's what I felt like When I When When you Were in the coma I just kept thinking about I wish I had told him He could have talked to me Because I didn't know If you were going to come out of it And and, uh, I, I was wondering what had, cause I, I think I had heard that you had watched a movie that triggered <laughs> you and that just sent you on a binge that,
2: yeah, that, that that's somewhat, your...
0: somewhat accurate, but it actually has to do with something at the same job we were working at. Wow. I can't believe we're going to get into this, but this is kind of crazy too. So, um. You may remember um, a lovely young lady at the job we worked at, and um, one of the first things I was there, she said to me, um, oh, I love guys in tight shirts, or something like that, and I was like, but I was chubby like i am now so i didn't take it as a compliment and i was like okay yeah thanks whatever
2: and i, I was
1: can i say before chubby. before just as 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 an aside yeah you look better now than you did last time i saw you <laughs> thank you i appreciate that Good. um she said no I, I like the husky
0: football player type guy you know this that and i just dated one and then the next day it was target talking out in the parking lot And then the next day I got a note at my desk that was like, hey, hon, can't wait to see you at work today. Like, stop by my cube when you can. But, like, this relationship with Gina was just starting to be, like, kind of on and off at that time. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how serious that relationship might be. So, you know, like most people, you kind of – just balance things, and, um, but I, I didn't want to lead anyone on if I knew what I wanted to do, and once I decided that I did not want to date this girl, which, um, I went, went on one date with her, which I willingly did, so I always questioned that, because that was my that was my role in contributing to what happened next. I went on a date. And then I didn't... The next few times I talked to her, it was like, I kn- who put you up to this? I got a phone call. Who at our job put you up to this? I know you're just trying to hook up with me as a bet. And then the next day, it was... um my husband's in the military and he's trying to get everyone to pass me around. And then the next day it was, I can talk to spirits. And I was like, man, I've had enough, dude. I, I can't have this at my job, but I, it was almost emasculating to go forward and to say, I'm feeling sexually uncomfortable by a female. Mm. Right. And I didn't do that. Cause I would feel like a wuss. I was right. like, what kind of guy says, especially cute blonde girl. But it was distracting me and it was making me feel uncomfortable and I should have said something because what fucking happened next was she went to the boss and said, I don't want him supervising me. I had been made supervisor and she said, I don't want him supervising me. And I had to go in front of this board, which was five women, Mm -hmm. and say that I was the one being victimized. It was obviously a really hard sell. I went and spoke with one of the men, uh, who are higher up. And this, this guy intimated to me that he had had a similar issue. He's tall, he's imposing, you know, he's got a voice that's kind of scary. And, um, he, he went in there and felt uncomfortable around a female. And they said to him, well, were you using that voice when you talked to her? You know, as if, As if 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 he had to tone down his natural masculinity because it was, you know. So it was, I I was feeling a lot of stress at that job. And I wish, in retrospect, I would have said, I feel like I'm being sexually harassed by a woman. Mm. But I didn't because it would have felt emasculating. Mm. One night I'm sitting there watching, I think it What's the uh, Denzel movie? Flight. Flight, yeah. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. And there was a scene where he just can't take it anymore, and he relapsed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just remembered how, you know, this is for me personally. This is not telling anyone to go do this (laughs) Um, or that it will work for you. Not not
1: advocating for whatever comes next.
0: It always felt as though if if I was carrying cosmic bricks on my shoulders. Things like meditating at that time felt like they could remove maybe three quarters of the bricks. Or, you know, um, working out. Or, you know, other you know, smoking or something like that. Um, But drinking always felt like it took every single brick off for that moment. Mm -hmm. And it was the only thing I could find that felt like it removed all the bricks from my shoulder for any period of time. To this day, I'm saying working out and meditating are getting pretty close. But even if they never get there, it's like, this, again with my with my crazy analogies, but this is how I have to sort it out in my mind. Drinking could give me an a plus day, maybe another a plus day, but then like three f or like five f days in a row, you know, and it's like, look, I may not get another one of those days where I just feel glorious, hammered in the sun, and no worries. But I'll take seven B-plus days every single day, any day. Mm -hmm. Because those are good days. Everyone still has problems. It's unrealistic to think you'll avoid them and the stability, you know. So that was, though, that was the last time that I chose alcohol to put the bricks down because uh, it started pickling some of my innards. (laughs) Pickling my gizzard, yeah, um, my gizzard, and uh, so, exactly, so I went to the hospital with exactly a little pain. What and,
1: happened, though? I mean, yeah, well, what 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 happened when you saw that 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 scene in that movie? What did you do? Um,
0: I think Gina had alcohol in her house. We were watching it at her house, mm-hmm. and I just went and had a few beers, mm. and I think I actually came into work a day or two like hung over and still trying to operate but it was just i didn't want to be there i was still you know this is less than two years after my brother died and i still hadn't sorted that out in a healthy constructive way yet so you know it 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 wasn't able something I was able to start and stop within a few days, which is the sign of any bad, you know, addiction. And uh I was just feeling sluggish. Um more I mean more so than just the drinking. And so I went to the hospital and they saw that I had like a hundred five degree fever. And that that was because my pancreas had started to go into necrosis, which then shut down my kidneys and my liver. Uh, So my whole body went into shutdown. And so I was, they put me into an induced coma. Um, There were times that it just didn't look like I was going to make it because I wasn't fighting the fever but then I would start fighting the fever again. It's crazy, man. I've I've talked to other people who have had coma dreams. I had crazy coma dreams. Where <laughs> I was on like a pirate ship. And uh this is kinda how Lost Wolf opens up roughly. But uh I was on a pirate ship and they were convincing me to do experiments and they wanted to tie me down and I told me it was just for an hour. And I think that was the moment where I was actually trying to pull my wires out, Gina said. Mm -hmm. And then in this coma dream, they left me on this ship for days and days and days without water. And that's because I wasn't getting water. I was getting it through my IV. Mm -hmm, And then I woke up in my hometown where I hadn't been for 30 years. But it was a swamp with ghosts and fires. I mean, it was so odd. Then I wake up and it's... I'm, like, looking around, and I'm seeing people. <laughs> There's some big black guy shaving my face. <laughs> You're kind of like, if I'm waking up to a big black guy shaving my face in a hospital. It's real life, yeah. Something and- fucked up just went down. <laughs> then I asked what date it is. It's May 2nd. It's your 30th birthday. Oh, wow. They take me to... Um, a room where they they image my neck to see if I have the the capacity to swallow. Mm -hmm. And I was able to swallow still. Um, So they gave me a piece of birthday cake. (laughs) But, you know, it's... When I was saying that um, I keep my distance from people and it's tough to... It's tough to give myself the benefit of the doubt that I'll be a good enough friend that you'll want me around, that I'll be a good enough participant in a family unit because it so much of it feels so alien to me. And part of the, part of the reconciling I've had since being in there for 149 days is, um, Gina. So when I went into the coma, Gina then had access to my phone And could see that I had been messaging this other girl Mm -hmm. and was furious. Not to mention, um, she had to pay my storage unit and move all my stuff and have my car repoed. And we had only been dating for maybe seven, eight months at this point.
1: Um, I spoke to her like every day.
0: Yeah. So you you so probably have I better knew, insight into that part knew, of my life than I do.
1: I knew how angry she was. And yeah. I knew how confused she was, and I knew how I, I felt the same way. Uh, I I wasn't as angry as I was just upset, and I was uh, confused. But I saw the impact that it had on her. But man, she didn't leave your side for a minute. So and that was the coolest.
0: I think out of the 149 days, she was there 139. I think there were maybe 10 where she just didn't have the energy to come in. I mean, who would have? And so for someone she had only been dating eight months who realized had been a shithead now that she had access to his stuff, um, for her to be there at all was of no obligation of her own. It's just she couldn't, she, in speaking with her dad, couldn't understand how you could just let somebody die alone in the hospital, and that's not a way of life that I am used to coming up with. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I think
1: you realize that you had the capacity to deserve some some love. <laughs> uh, you're worthy, you're so worthy, and uh, I, I, I hope you continue to feel that. And that's another, like, really, I want, on the record, in case there's a day where neither one of us is sitting here, to hear these words. I fucking love you. You deserve it. And I want what's best for you. I'm on your team. Always have been. Always will be. I appreciate that, man.
0: I love you, too, man. I don't know if I'm deserving of your love, but I'll accept it for now. I mean, look. (laughs) I know the bad shit I've done and uh, I've shared it with people it took me about two years to share it and I'm we'll see if it comes out in the book but um when I finally told them they're like that's that's what you had been hanging on for for two years you know how much worse I've heard than that yeah dude mm-hmm. so it, it,
1: it okay here's the it doesn't serve you anymore no it doesn't right. serve you at all you're right cast whatever doesn't serve you to the fire you're beyond that those journeys have gotten you to where you are so be grateful for what they were and what they were were some heavy lessons that you had to learn um we 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 deserve we deserve everything we believe we deserve so when you when you say you don't think you deserve my love and acceptance of course you do and i I don't, see, I don't see shit people have done as, as reasons to dislike someone or reasons to not give them... Look, as, as right or wrong as anyone is, everyone deserves to be understood. Everyone deserves to be heard. Everyone deserves to feel loved. Uh, some of us are really deprived of those things. Yeah. And we, we can make the world... We can make our world for our our existence the the people who are around us, the impacts that we make, we can make them way more positive for anyone around us by just simply holding space for somebody and telling somebody, "Wow, that was something I hadn't thought of you know, open up perspectives because
2: it
0: Part of the reason i'm I'm writing the book is because I know that there are especially the the adoption um process in the United States is starting to come under scrutiny with some of the Netflix films and whatnot um I know there are kids out there teens you know in foster care that are saying this is exactly what it's like, and nobody believes me. I know there are people out there who have dropped out of college and never forgiven themselves. Say There was someone from the inner city who could have used that opportunity that I squandered. I know there are people who are surviving suicides from a family member. There are people who are trying to rebuild after addiction and homelessness, especially now. I mean, that's one of the big issues of our times right now. And um, there are, there are people out there who want to know that, please, I feel like a good person, but I need someone else to just confirm that I've done these things and some of them I did to survive. I don't feel good about them. I want to do better going forward.
1: So how, how could you say that and then also feel like you don't deserve you, that, that's Man, that's some hard wiring. That's
0: hard. That's what I. Yeah. That's a that's an analogy I often use with Gina that, that mm. there's hardware and that there's software and mm. I try to believe that ninety percent <laughs> of it is software that a lot of it can be changed with the disk. Mm. You know, I, I don't want to be tethered to a hard maybe hardwiring zero percent. You know, it's mm. it's all in all of how much of it you can switch. I mean, it's an inside game, as they
1: say. It's mm.
2: it's,
0: in, it's an inside job inside your mind. Well,
1: like I thing I I found myself saying a lot is uh, um, you you can you can know what the problems are and then do nothing about them. And you can know what the problems are and start doing stuff about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd always prefer to see people who matter doing things about the things. You know, doing stuff about what they know is a problem. Mm -hmm. Like, absolutely get help. Absolutely talk to somebody. Absolutely be an outlet. Absolutely be a counselor. If you you can talk to somebody who needs to hear some of the things that you've got to say, if you can just... If you can just be a voice to the ears that need to hear, you can be a voice for the voiceless. You can be an advocate for uh, mental health or, you know, uh, dude, you're, in my eyes, you're, you're a star, dude. You've been a star since the <laughs> moment I met you. Like, probably before I before You I out there me.
0: listening, I am a nobody. Don't <laughs> listen to this guy. You wouldn't
1: recognize me from a <laughs> bum on the street. No, like, I... I saw like and then, then when we started talking, you were like, "Yeah, I I do comedy," and you were talking about stand up, and I was like, "Oh yeah," and then you were like, "Yeah, I was in uh, I was living in New York City and had an agent and I was getting bookings and making stuff happen." And I was like, "Oh wow!" and you were like, "Yeah, I was I was doing well." And then and then when you started telling me about Owen and moving back, and I was yeah. like, "Oh man." Uh, I would love to see this guy get back on stage and get a microphone in his hand and start getting I never
0: made any money for those gigs, and the girl who was my agent I wound up uh, sleeping with, and then she cut me off. So (laughs) everything was started from scratch. But it's funny because that's... Man, so when I started comedy again after all the the homelessness and everything like that um and being sober it it was like finding my way through the wilderness because um there was the nerves of just being cognizant of everything on stage but also you know there with that the, the the verbosity didn't flow as freely and um I didn't That's, quite there's, know there's who. A, there's a
1: like a, who a, a I was. high point word verbosity.
2: <laughs> well, you, you <laughs> know, I gross. had
1: I had j- jokes that were
0: I thought somewhat you know I put them under the intellectual category, even though that that word is completely subjective. Um, and then dirty jokes, and then um, observational jokes, and so it was hard to find a persona that was believable to the audience who was kind of. Dirty, but kind of smart, mm-hmm. kind of just a regular guy, while also being so nervous. So the first time Jane, the first time Corey and I started, or the the first time he saw me start doing it again, man, not only were the locations brutal, but I just tanked something fierce. But Dude, that's
2: great. You I mean, need that's the bomb. You that's one of
0: bomb. those lessons is humility. It sometimes tanking can feel. So good just to be brought down and just feel like it can only get better from here. But um, it brings up something else that I really like that I heard in your podcast that uh, in a previous episode where you're saying about it's healing, obviously, for the audience because it's escapism Mm -hmm. and they get to disappear from their day for a moment and just smiling in general sends... You know, neurotransmitters that are pleasurable and everything else that comes along with being able to relate to someone else telling a funny story but there's therapy in being the guy, being up there doing it Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and um, that's what I got from a few episodes of your podcast and I didn't know we were going to be going there with this episode but it just made me think about that because I come out of the coma and uh I was self-conscious about the way I looked. Uh-huh. You know, I had like I have the, a trach saw, scar now. Yeah, yeah. And so I immediately did a trach scar joke. Right. And it helped me. You know, I did, not a single person laughed, but right.
1: <laughs> Well, I mean, it's I, I I struggled with that too, man, because like when I when I first got back on stage after after having my my brain surgery, um I would talk about how the, there's this big chunk in the, out of the side of my forehead now that wasn't there before and uh for for half a year i had no feeling in my head like mm-hmm. my side of my face mm-hmm. i had no feeling and then every once in a while i would get these random like tinges of pain and i would just grip my head like that and someone would ask me if i was okay but i felt like instead of explaining to them that that was the feeling going on i would act like i had psychic powers <laughs> and then, like i'd be like oh my god if you talk to your have you talked to your friend, John? <laughs> and they're like, I have a friend. I was like, it might be a J name. I don't Vegas. <laughs> he says, God. bring a shovel, <laughs> <laughs> and bring a shovel. But, that can't be good. But like when I would go into explain, like explaining it, it was like, it would be too much. Did you ever see, uh, I am comic that documentary about comedy. I have not. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy at some point in the thing says, uh, when you're doing, when you're doing jokes, you're doing too much diddly diddly's and not enough bops. It's instead of going diddly 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 bop, it should be diddly diddly bop, diddly diddly bop, diddly diddly, diddly bop. All right. And the setup for that joke, talking about the psychic powers, was um, I was talking. I was like, oh yeah. Um, in in September, I had brain surgery. Ha ha ha! That's what they're laughing at. That's not what I'm. I'm not. That's not the joke. The joke is this. Maybe I have too much diddly. I'm gonna just get rid of this entire the whole the whole premise yeah but um yeah it's it's all a matter of like finding your joke writing style that works for you and it comes to finding your voice which you know uh you have a different voice now than you had in 2011 yeah so uh
0: but i i I am refining my stuff i and i'm excited to come back to the stage soon i'm not sure if i um If you ever got this text from me, I'll read it to you verbatim.
1: Um, I think I know what you're talking about. It was like from September this year, right? I, I just read it the other day, and I was like, how did I not read this?
0: Yeah. You out there, you tell us. You want Corey and I to do a podcast called Tanking? Two guys... Well, it wouldn't work anymore because it was about two guys who kind of suck, but you've been getting better. So it could be <laughs> one guy who's more developed and one guy who sucks. Because, I mean, come on. Who who doesn't love seeing people tank and not care about it? I mean, just enjoy the humility of the moment. Not purposely tell bad jokes.
1: Dude, I've seen the some other thing bad
0: is, stuff. I've noticed my... that... Just throwing a few women in the audience who don't have a horse in the race mm-hmm. and are willing to laugh at your jokes. Because some mm-hmm. of the places we started out, it was uh, it was all dudes, and they were all there to tell their jokes, and they were all there to not laugh at anyone else's jokes. Right. Well, that's, that's and it's any like if you, like you can make you someone to. laugh
1: in a place like that, but there's even even uh, women comedians. Like it's the same. I mean, yeah. the, you're not you're the laughs that you get from comedians have to be genuine laughter because yeah. because they're there they're okay
0: they'll see most of the shit coming half a mile away
1: yeah and on top of that dude like I'm gonna see I'm gonna see you try the same four jokes the next week and I'm gonna see you try I'm gonna see you try a new thing that you know I saw you try the night before, it's like, yeah. that was, that was why I got out of it the very first time was like, I was so tired of hearing the same tired hack shit. So that was uh, going to open mics, going to open mics is brutal. Like that, those experiences and then like going late at night and not getting on till like one thirty in oh, the morning, yeah. all that sort of stuff had made me want to get out of it. And I sort of, I sort of faded away for a really long time, and I mean, um, how
0: have you developed your recent success?
1: I wouldn't even call it success. Uh, It's, it's really like, uh, it's still a work. I'm still working at it. There's no success. There's no success without uh, continued work. Yeah. So uh, I'm getting better. Yeah, but I don't think improving is exactly a success to celebrate.
0: <laughs> oh, you are a funny guy, man. <laughs> do you do you like me enough that if I actually uh, got a gig, you'd be able to congratulate me? Because I know it's not on your nature to congratulate people. It's not something you like.
1: Why? Why? Why is that not my nature? <laughs> because
0: I, I was just listening to one of your podcasts last night, and you were saying it is not in my nature to congratulate people. I do not like doing um, this no, unless uh, it's genuine, and uh,
1: usually it's not. I I think there is a there is a level of sincerity that might get lost when it comes to publicly congratulating someone, yeah, or publicly happy birthday, happy like it's it's like, dude, I I when it comes to like, uh, gener- genuine sentiment. Of course I'm happy for you.
0: You don't you don't like when people have to um feign.
1: Yeah, I mean I I absolutely don't think that it will earn me any clout to go, "Hey, my friend is famous <laughs> and I and I'm now adjacent to his fame." By, by saying, look how cool my friend is <laughs> That's not
0: really No, that's not what I was getting right. My wife watches Big Brother, you ever watch that show? No, that's nah, not going to make sense then.
1: No, this just please please unbox it a little bit more Because people who are listening Are going to know what Big Brother Like, catch the uh, Big well, refer- Brother references
0: um, Yeah This is You know, there will be scenarios mm-hmm. Where the person gets voted out And uh They'll be like, <laughs> Jamie will get up there and be like, I think you should keep me because Bridget embarrasses herself on national TV and has no morals and, you know, has blown up all your guys' games, so you should stay, keep me. And like, those are legit things that these women have, or, and men, everyone have said about each other in their, like, pitches to stay on the show, which... That to me goes a little beyond just the gameplay. Like a lot of it's personal. But inevitably, one person gets voted off, and everyone else stands in line and hugs that person and says, We really love you. You had a great game. We're going to be friends after this as they're on their way out. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It's like they, and you just lost half a million dollars with somebody slandering you on CBS. (laughs) And now you have to hug them on your way out. Hugs the shit out of me.
1: Yeah, it's like so oh, it's all it's all part of the game. Oh, we're 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 trying to all become TV stars and and uh, have lots of money. Uh, so this this is I, dude. It's really. Of course I'm happy for my friends when they get big gigs. I like, wasn't question no, you genuinely right, being happy. Right, I was right, just I teasing would, you yeah, about right, the right. thing that I'm I doing. I would just not go, Hey, my <laughs> friend's cool. I'm cool too, right? <laughs> like I don't I think the
2: the, it, the
0: context in that I heard in your episode was more in terms of somebody getting a promotion and normally you don't say Oh, great. You really deserve it. But I think in this particular case, the person you felt really deserved it. I don't know. uh, I can tell you that I suffer in my, you know, my ego when I see people write things that, like, I was halfway done with and now it's on TV or, like, that was roughly my idea or – Oh, why didn't I think of that? Because it's so obvious, but it's so fucking good. Like that professional jealousy. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I
0: know that that comes from a rotten place, but man, that that's something I'm working on.
1: Well, this is uh, if you know it, if you know it, and you're not and you're not improving because of it, then it's just something you know, and it's your damage. <laughs> uh, that's that's sad. Uh, yeah. But if it's not motivating you. It, it, oh, it's motivating sh- me. It, From it for a sure should, oh, yeah. should be motivating you. Like, dude, when I see stuff I'm inspired by, I don't go, man, Why, Like, man, I suck. I should not do anything. <laughs> I go, I that motivates me to get my message out there even more.
0: That's, I, that's not my reaction. What I wind up doing is being up all night trying to write something better. Mm-hmm. And then Gino will know sometimes, I can't take him to this movie because – it's going to set off all the ideas in his brain and he'll be up for the next 2 days trying to write his
1: better version of it's it. It's so funny because like somehow somehow you think you think that being up longer is going to it's going to it's going <laughs> to somehow come to you in that time frame. Like success has no deadline. Yeah. Like finding finding your avenue uh Sometimes you don't know what you want until what you want is staring you right in your face. So, I mean,
0: well, my life has a deadline. I mean, I can't wait until I'm I'm on the fast track to, to being perishable.
1: But you know, dude, we all we're all we're all on our way. You know, right. death is a part of life, and if and inside of that, inside of that, you don't find something that lights your fire. That's pretty sad. Um, and and you know you can you can find you can find inspiration in in everyday li everyday life. And and if if you can pick and choose out of that and then make your own make your own yellow brick road. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure.
1: You know out of all those amazing things?
0: Well, I, I I was kind of bemoaning the fact that I'm in my late 30s and the time's ticking to do something, but in reality th- that's that's a, a logical fallacy, too, because I re- recall a story of a male nurse who was telling me about his grandmother, and he said the, the family kind of splintered back in the 60s or whatever, and she went off on her own in her 30s, and no one had seen her for like four decades. They knew where she was. They knew she was drinking. She wasn't working. She was in the house. And they just assumed that she was going to kind of drink herself to death. And they tried to intervene a few times. And that's just the way she wanted to live. And she got clean and sober in her late 70s. And her childhood dream had always been to be an actress. And so she goes and casts. And he was telling me. She only did a few commercials, and obviously she was cast as the grandmother, but she, he was like, they were commercials I'm sure you've seen and may even recognize. So she got her little taste. Yeah. You know, seventy. the age of 78 is not too late. I'm not recommending wait until then to do something, but it's never too late. I thought that was so beautiful.
1: It's never too late. It's not too late. It's never too late, as Three Days Grace would say. <laughs>
0: Seven, like in her 80s She fulfilled her dream That she had as a little girl
1: Well so like man. you can You can forever think your Your goal and your dream Is one thing And find out maybe That it's something Completely different Yeah I mean dude Since the time I was Since I was 12 years old I wanted to be A successful pro wrestler I wanted to do that For the rest of my life And that's all I wanted to do And then In my 30s I discovered podcasting. Um I <clears throat> I discovered comedy. I mean, I discovered comedy when I was when I was a real little kid. But I was like, you know what? I want to be a pro wrestler more than I want to be a comedian. You know what? I can be both things. So not everything has to be so binary. Right. Not everything has to be like either I'm making it or I'm not. There is uh, uh, there is tears yes there are tears that and there's T-I-E-R not tears like that come from <laughs> <around>. <laughs> but, like the ones we were just drinking a few minutes ago <laughs> like, from uh, the, babies the and gypsies
0: but um, uh, well, you know in this in this political climate I'm not going to say anything one way or another but sometimes the the qualities to which we hold those who we look up to um, can be sullied either because we think that they're rotten or they're a hypocrite or they're, um, you know, corrupt. And I was thinking out of all those things, the hypocrite thing one, I think I need to let slide a bit because, I mean, there's clear hypocrisy where you, you may say, You know, I don't believe in owning televisions. No one in America should have a television. And then they come in your house and there's televisions everywhere. I'm talking more about remaining teachable, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: remaining open to people changing your mind. And that's something I like about you. And that's why you've been able to evolve from one thing to another. I would actually have more respect you know, for a politician who was able to say that was my stance in my twenties, mm-hmm. and then I got more facts, and then I met people involved in it, and honestly, I just started feeling a little guilty. And yeah, in the end, I feel differently now. I've been taught by those in the, in the know, and my mind has changed. And I think pride often keeps people from. Well, stay in t- That there, there's this notion especially in this day and age that you have to be ideologically pure and never change like loyalty is my thing I'm loyal to the end no doubts about it but
1: well that's, that's the thing everything like, has I to have its parameters there's um, uh, one thing I wanted to say on that was I think that a lot of us are guilty of uh, being guilty of biting bait we are yes we are We are a a society of people who click, clickbait. You know, we're sharks out there, right? When we're all, you know, there's outrage bait. You know what I mean? We're all what we what we we're the bait we butt into, right? Uh, So we've got to be more careful about which bait we 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 try to go after, Um, and that bait sometimes. And a lot of times can be like, I've identified as this. I'm proud. I am this. I'm like, you can't identify as proud because then you get too proud. You get too, you get too set in something that might not be the way. It is a way for sure. It's a way. Mm-hmm. Everything is a way. Not everything, not anything is the way. Cause for sure we have, you know, how many, how many words how many words can you say in a day?
0: Several, right? Exactly, right? Uh, exactly. Several. If
1: you if you were only able to say one word per day, how would you decide? You you wouldn't be able to
0: save it in turn and right. for an emergency, it's like right. saving the
1: timeout. Right, it's like the Mitch Hedberg joke, like uh the the limited car car honks to three per day. Speaking <laughs> of
0: Mitch Hedberg, that I heard a joke on Comedy Central. Tell me if you think this is Mitch hedberg ass. The guy's like, got hired at a uh, haunted house and they put a werewolf mask on me and told me to go in there and scare people. But I said, I don't feel comfortable, miss. There's vampires and mummies in there. (laughs) I feel like that's that's almost a direct Hedberg rip. I don't know. Uh,
1: Whose joke was that?
0: No, uh, it was on a Comic Central commercial. Of course, now that guy's gonna find this podcast.
1: <laughs> no, but like, crush me. The thing is, man. Like, we're all a generation of who we're inspired by. I mean, a lot of a lot of comics are doing impressions of yeah of the oh. people that that made them want to. I think I think that um, it's important to keep in mind that
0: everything is derivative right oh, yeah. unless you've woken up out of a coma or come from another planet and have just started writing jokes and same thing with music there's really nothing these days you know unless you're writing music completely out of touch with memories and reality your what you write is based on a conglomerate of things that you've heard one thing i really appreciate that comes through in your podcast and that i know that you get is it's easy for humans to think in black and white. It doesn't take as much effort. What's tough to do is discipline ourselves to recognize what's real, is that life is a continuum of a bunch of different grays, mm-hmm. different bunch of different gray hues, some close to the real black and some close to the real white and some in the middle. And very very little in our life is that but is anything in our life binary other than that our physical body is going to die is there anything else we can count on 100 percent?
1: dude everything everybody thinks they've got to choose a team and it's like there there's more than two teams to join Uh, it's
0: what you were saying a few minutes ago that it's not one way or it's not this way it's like almost like a bundle a cable bundle of a bunch of different
1: right build your own yellow brick road
0: <laughs> build your own yellow brick road <laughs> brick by brick yeah. i, th- I Corey think castle's getting deep with y'all today here ladies and gentlemen when,
1: when i was a when i was a uh, when i was a young boy i wanted to write a book i really wanted to write a book the same way you talk about wanting to write a book and i wasn't wanted it to be an autobiographical story about me and i kept struggling with how am i gonna end this thing how am i and i went, i'll finish writing the book when i have a happy ending and i was like whose version of happy ending am i ever gonna finish this book you know what thinking more about it i was like what if i put out a book and i publish it and in five years i don't agree with some of the things i said in the book someone can come up to me and go hey i don't agree with what you said here and i go i don't agree with it either i i thought that then i don't think that now and then and then i was like it makes more sense for me to have this where i can change the way i think about things and i can evolve my opinion about things and um this i think this is the this is literary this is um literature of the future yeah. it's audio you know yeah. audio I, I, audio time travel man this is how i feel about the the podcast
0: I've, I've wrestled with that same problem but what i said to myself is i'm pretty much embarrassed at the way i was five years ago every five years so if i waited until i wasn't to put something down i'm never going to and then i found a quote by moby not a big fan of his music i've heard some it's moby not dick
1: bad. this the the whale no, the like, bald guy. And what? How did, how did the whale sound?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <go>.
0: Anyway, um, <laughs> he said, "I I look back at all of my philosophical like ideologies from the past t- thirty years and realize that in general I've just been full of shit." Mm-hmm. And you know, I. I but that's what I like about remaining teachable. That's what I I wouldn't care. The hypocrite thing isn't as big of an insult to me as it, as it used to be. Because it says to me, you're not mentally rigid. You're not so prideful that even if you discover your way might be wrong, that you're packing it in and going full forward. Because... It takes a lot of courage, especially for men. It takes a lot of courage to say, I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. It's a much tougher thing to do than to be a bully. Because you've got to still be a man while taking a step down. And a lot of men can't handle that. Saying I'm wrong is one of the hardest things for men to do, I think.
1: Well, people in general... Have a hard time accepting that there's no way to figure it all out. Yes. Uh, somehow there's this finish line. There's somehow going to be some uh, some fix to stuff.
0: Well, sometimes I see again in my bizarre analogies. I see humankind as a child, and. Hmm. During, you know, the BC years, we were just learning to crawl, we were learning to make fire, that kind of thing. So we got longer, we realized you just can't beat people into oblivion, that that's not going to work. We got to the medieval times, realized that religious oppression isn't going to work that Uh, one color being in control and one sex being in control and one mind frame being in control was not going to work. And so as we've become a toddler and as we've become an adolescent, we've realized that other people have rights that we have not been recognizing for so long, and we're still just kind of figuring shit out. We're. I think we're born in the time of humans as adolescents, and I would love to see what humans as grown-ups are going to look like if we can get there. What? But I, I still, like, some of the lessons we're just starting to learn now, it's like, wow, well, we're just learning to play well with others. Like, mm-hmm. We have all this science,
1: but... Do you... Did you see uh, was one of Joe Rogan's specials? He did a bit where he was like, if you got a time machine and you could go back and take Thomas Jefferson, bring him into the future and you could say and and you could show him the Constitution and be like, you guys didn't write new shit. You guys didn't. I wrote that with a feather. You guys (laughs) didn't write some new shit. Like all the advancements in the world. You guys didn't write new shit. Like I think about that all the time. I'm like, wow. and I, try, I, th- I think about, like, us and what we're capable of. And I think about, um, and I, and I say it on here all the time, which I'm going to talk to you about in a second, is I always say, like, th- I call this a, a, a t- audio con- time capsule. You yeah. know what I mean? This right now will never be as right now as it is right, right. now. So let's say 15 years from now, the people that you love the very most want to see... Uh Matt Matt Thomas be as vulnerable as possible <laughs> yeah. and talk about who he actually is. Yeah. And they want to listen to a message. So let's say let's say you know, you're you're no longer here in the physical state. What's what's your what's your time capsule? What's your message? What's your words to the people who've lost you?
0: Right now, mm-hmm. what would my message be? Yeah. Well, it's going to involve some gross oversimplifications, but (laughs) um, the two things that resonate most in my gut would be to have hope. You never, never know what the next day is going to bring. And we talked about the suicide of my brother. He, he had just been elected captain for the following season and all these things. And he realized he was going to have to drop out of college and miss all of those things. What he doesn't know is he may have really enjoyed working full time or being a coach outside of playing on the team. There could have been something... um Serendipitous that he stumbled upon. You think about the fact that, like we were talking about going back in time, you tell Ben Franklin, we can fly across the ocean in like an hour. He would say that's not possible. It wasn't possible to them because they just didn't know how to do it. It was possible. To fly. It was possible to have an atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. They just hadn't figured out the recipe. Which makes me think. Thing, things like wormholes. Time travel. Could be possible here and now. As we sit. We just don't have the recipe. That's a grandiose extrapolation. Of things that could happen. But the point is. Stay hopeful. You don't know what tomorrow holds. And. And. My second thing would be don't try and figure it all out. None of us can. It's just about being treated the way you want to be treated. It's just about putting out there the love that you want to get back. And, you know, I <laughs> think about the gumball. Game where they put the gumball jar in the window and they ask you to guess how many are in it. And some people can't tell if it's 300, some people can't tell if it's a million. Mm-hmm. And the fact that once we get into the thousands, numerically into the thousands, human minds stop being able to really sharply know what that quantity is like. Mm-hmm. And yet the universe, we're talking about trillions upon trillions upon trillions upon trillions. And some people are going to sit here and try and tell you that they know what all of those trillions of things are for and what they mean like and where they come from, hmm. even though they can't visualize the 300 gumballs. So, listen, nobody knows. Just be nice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, uh, I, I I've, I've was thinking this thing that I wanted to say to you. Uh, I've said it on the podcast a million times, so stop me if you've heard it. And uh, and if people listen to the podcast have heard me say it a million times, please be patient with me and listen to it one more time. <laughs> there are millions of dollars made from self-help books. There's a self-help section in every bookstore. There is no section for self-fix books. Because it doesn't exist. There is no magic wand. There's no fix. Everything takes work. And I think it was a Vince Lombardi quote where he says, only in the dictionary does success come before work. Uh, I I think about that all the time. Uh, and I've been doing this joke on stage where I've been saying, and I, and I said it on this podcast too, so if you're listening and you've heard this joke on the podcast, where I've been saying, uh, I've been saying, uh, you know when you look at somebody and you think they've got it all figured out? Like oh they got they got a nice house and they've got a nice car and their body's really nice and they got cool hair and they're attractive and they've got a handsome family. Think about this. Birds, they've got the entire sky. They still get hit by cars. We don't we all don't got it all figured out. As much as we seem like we've got it all figured out, some of us don't.
0: That's amazing.
1: Um, if all of a sudden this podcast is your podcast now this is the way I wrap up every time I always say if this is your podcast now evolving with Matt Thomas this is your first episode the pilot episode How, how do you wrap it up in a Jerry Springer's final thought sort of way
0: well You may have noticed today, folks, that the topics went from one to another, then back to another, then back to another. We may find in this life that that is because everything indeed is interconnected. What you eat for breakfast may affect the way you travel on a train, which may affect the person next to you, which may affect... An angered coworker, which may affect the way they go home and treat their children. So, from all of us here at the Springer Show, be kind to each other and be kind to yourselves.
1: <laughs> Beautiful.
0: <laughs> I mean, look that the, the, that's the point is is you can't tend. This is my opinion. Okay, that's all. This isn't the you know, prescription for the universe. This is my opinion. You can't attend to your body without attending a little bit to your intellect. You can't attend to your intellect without attending a little bit to your outside world. You can't attend a little bit to your outside world with attending to the people in your circle. You can't attend to the people in your circle without attending to your heart. You can't attend to your heart without attending to your body. It's all cyclical. I mean, yeah. if you listen to this episode and if it was tough to follow all the various tangents, um, that's because it's hard to keep any one part of life in a vacuum, right?
1: Indeed. I appreciate you very much. and I appreciate I, you. I, I feel like even though we've known each other for a long time, I still feel like this is just the beginning of what we're going to do together. So, uh, where, wherever, wherever life takes either one of us, I feel like our paths will continue to cross and we'll evolve. And yes, we'll we'll work creatively alongside each other. And, uh, thanks so much for coming in here. And, uh, if, if you're listening to the show and you've (laughs) liked this, like this episode, uh, I appreciate I appreciate your effort. Really, I say it on here a lot. Um, the, the currency that we don't value as much is effort and time. And the fact that you've paid attention and you've given me your attention and your love is very uh, appreciated. And if you will uh, subscribe and rate and review Evolving with Gory Castle... And share it with your friends. It's very much appreciated. Please go back and listen to the other hundred and fifty four episodes of the podcast. And, you know, if you have any feedback for me, once again, like I say, I'm I'm a continuous resource, so if you feel like you gotta talk to somebody and you feel like there's nothing, you feel like you can't you can't figure it out and you need some judgment free conversation, I'm the hard to get a hold of. Uh, that of course goes for you, Matt. Uh, yeah, there's, And there's for
0: you out there, if this conversation with me and Corey's understanding throughout this process didn't illustrate what he just said, he's a great resource. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Uh, keep it